James 1, 9 to 18 says this, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to learn from it and be challenged by it and um, encouraged by these things. Lord, we pray that um, this morning as I speak, that your words would be spoken in our mind and uh, that you would encourage us with your truth and challenge us to follow after you. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so, last week, uh, I mentioned a bunch of shapes and didn't, and then didn't show you any of the shapes. Um, uh, I've ripped up, ripped off a sort of concept of of a discipleship model from a book that I really appreciated called uh, "Creating a Discipleship Culture" by Mike Breen. I've talked some to uh, Luke about this book, and since he's familiar with it, it's you know, it's been vetted. So you know, right? We're it's at the <laughs> it's <laughs> it's passed through there. So. Um, Really good book on discipleship that I appreciate because uh, it kind of describes some elements of following Jesus that are very basic, but doesn't really force you, um, you know, into those. Just wants you to be aware of things that are happening, regardless of if you know about it or not. These things in our walk with Jesus are occurring. So last week, uh, like we talked about, I'm going to show you some slides here, some visuals I've got for you today. They look real complicated because they are, it's a little bit complicated, but, um, so last week we talked about some pieces of discipleship, and when I understand discipleship, I understand it in a way of relational discipleship, and so I've created a definition from my standpoint, not, not Mike Breen's, uh, that relational discipleship is the intentional and continual means through which we seek to follow Jesus together. Sometimes when we talk about discipleship, we talk about coming under one person and becoming their disciple and following and copying everything off of them. And that is good in particular seasons to find someone you can follow, a mentor, a, a, someone that is a little further down the faith journey than you are and to learn from. But the truth is, is that discipleship is occurring all the time. We're learning dynamically from each and every one of the, uh, the people that are in this church all the time. And each of the people, the body of Christ, that we're around all the time. It's relational. It's who we're uh, interacting with. And, and in that, like we talked about last week, there's, uh, there's people like James following Jesus, right? He sees what Jesus does, and then he helps Jesus do what he does, and then he does what Jesus does. And 
um, and Jesus watches what James does. There's this model of following someone that happens all the time. That's what the square is. We're constantly following others and leading others in our lives. And so James was doing that with Jesus, and and those that came after James were doing that with him. And the same is happening in our church today. We look around at each other, and we see how each other are following the Lord. We see how the Word is changing one another's lives and challenging us. We see how people are struggling through circumstances and doing so well or doing so poorly. We learn from each other by watching each other and then implementing what we see. And so this is a piece of discipleship. It's relational. It's us seeing one another. A couple of things that I pointed out last week uh, were the semicircle, which is this idea that we're constantly in seasons. In some seasons, we're growing. In some seasons, we're being changed and pruned and just abiding with God. In some seasons, we're bearing fruit and seeing others uh, respond to the words we're sharing with them. And, and other times, we're just learning from the Lord in quiet and secret. There are seasons that we go in and out of, and they're, they're daily with rhythms, they're monthly rhythms, they're weekly rhythms, sometimes they're annual rhythms, sometimes they're long uh, seasons that we're going through all the time. I also talked about this uh, prayer hexagon, which is really just a square that uh, breaks out all the pieces of the Lord's Prayer, right? Very simple, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Simple, right? I mean, the reason I like this book is that it's just like intuitive. It's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's the Lord's Prayer. It's not some weird shape that has some mysterious meaning. It's just six elements out of the prayer. And so today, and you know, when I was reading through James, I was just encouraged and challenged by all these little elements that were showing up in various ways as I looked at the text. And, and so today we're going to see uh, some more pieces of this, you know, this, this whole. James walks through a few things today, and uh, he talks about the things that we're pursuing first. Uh, he talks about the temptations that we're facing. And he also talks about how he provides for us in circumstance. So we're going to look at those three things today. The first is in verses 9 to 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. The sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We see in this passage this, uh, this comparison between the rich in the world and the poor in the world. And there is like a, a possible meaning also of like the, the prideful and the humble as opposed to the rich and the poor. But we think in James' context, he is literally referring to those who have been scattered into uh, the areas north of Jerusalem and are now with very little financial ca- uh, capacity. Uh, so they are, have become poor in the world, actually, socioeconomically. They're in a, a, in a difficult spot. And so James' encouragement to them is really a wisdom encouragement because he's not saying being wealthy is evil and being poor is good. He's not saying that. He's just describing that uh, for the lowly, you are exalted, and for the rich, you are humiliated. 
Because if we put our stock in wealth and goods, those things are going to pass away and be gone. And so it's this wisdom that, that, uh, that James is sharing with us that um, we need to uh, pursue the things which matter. What he's challenging the rich with is this, that uh, the more stuff we have in life, the more we're distracted by managing those things. It, it, you know, as, as you gain things to manage, they start to take your time. And those things taking your time takes your focus off what actually is going to endure, what actually is going to last. So it's very difficult for uh, the rich to see past their things. And for us, when we have many things in our life, you know, it doesn't have to be like some super billionaire to be considered rich. Pretty much anyone in America, you know, here is wealthy. We've got roofs overhead, we've got a phone we can use, we've got cars we can drive in, we're rich. And so we are easily can be distracted by the things that we've accumulated and forget the things that matter and the things that last. And so James is encouraging us to consider the things that will last. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. He is exalted because the only thing he has is the things that actually matter. He didn't have things in this world that will pass away. He has things that will matter. And he can see them more clearly because he's not distracted by the things of this world. Doesn't mean that all the poor are good at doing that. Just that means on a wisdom level, it's easier to see the things that matter when there's not a bunch of clutter of richness. Now, poor or rich alike... They can be swept, uh, swapped in, their, in what they're focusing on. Even the poor can have a focus on goods. Even the rich can be humble. But from a wisdom standpoint, James is saying, the, the, the lowly is exalted because he sees the things that matter. And these are the things that matter. Relationships. People matter. Things don't. The people in your lives matter. And so one of the you know, images that uh, discipleship brings up is really the people that God has put in your life. Chiefly, himself. <laughs> the, the most important person that has come into your life when you're following Jesus is Jesus. And so one of the things that we Uh, ought to be challenging each other with and challenging ourselves with is how is our relationship with God? What is our relationship with God like? Is is he someone we just kind of like see on Sunday, hear about on Sunday, learn about on Sunday? Or, Or is he our Father in heaven who we talk to about everything that's going on in our life and ask for wisdom? Where is our relationship with God? Are, are we uh, in a place or a season where uh, that is a very fruitful place? Or are we in a dry season where we're not really connecting with the Lord? These are questions that we can ask each other and challenge each other with. James is speaking to this people that has been sent out in persecution and, and saying, uh, don't worry that you are without goods. You are exalted. You have that which matters even more than any goods that you could possibly have. And that is faith in Christ Jesus. And in spite of the fact that you've been sent away from your homes, you have the thing that values the most. And that is the presence of God inside of you. And so as we're 
thinking about pursuing that which matters. It's really the relationships God has given us. And so uh, he challenges us to think of our relationship with God, uh, our relationship with our church, the brothers and sisters that God has put around us. He has given us uh, a, a call to encourage and strengthen each other in our faith. He's also put people around us that haven't come to know him yet, those that are lost, who haven't seen that Jesus is the greatest treasure you could possibly have, who haven't seen that their sin has separated them from a holy God, and that that God had sent his son to die for them, that they can be restored to their relationship with their father. God has placed people in each and every one of our lives that fall into these realms, a brother or sister in Christ that you can encourage on their journey, someone who doesn't know the Lord that that God has put around you to share lovingly and truthfully the things that you believe, and himself, he's with you in every aspect of your life. James says, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation as he speaks to these that are sent out in, in persecution, really. He says, you have the most valuable thing that can possibly be be given. You've been exalted in your lowly position. You who are scattered in persecution, you are not humbled. You are exalted in this position. James then challenges uh, them in this idea in, in saying, verse 12, "'Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial.'" For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Again, as we've talked about, James kind of just moves from one thought to the next as he's writing down this letter. And, um, and, and he's uh, you know, thinking of these people that he's writing to and their situation and, and thinking about how difficult it is and, and is just encouraging them with this, that uh, just as he said above, uh, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of many kinds, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Here he picks up that thought again and says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. And blessed are you who have been sent out from your home in persecution, and in the midst of that can cling to Christ Jesus as your hope and as your strength. For when you've stood the test, you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. The crown of life being um, similar to what, what Paul says, which is it's this crown, a, a, a reward that you have received for a race. Paul describes it like this. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control. They do it for a perishable wreath, crown. A piece, of, it was like a, a garland that would be put on their head. But we run for an imperishable crown, the crown of life. Uh, our race, each of our races look different, right? Our journeys look different. But at the end of the day, the crown that we receive is the same. It is the crown of life. It is the presence of God that we get to remain in for eternity. And so uh, he says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life.
And this remaining steadfast does not look any different than when it did when you first started. It's the same gospel today as it was when you first came to know Jesus. And so um, James moves into sharing, how do you stay steadfast? It's very simple. It's the gospel. You continue to believe the gospel. One of the cornerstone images that uh, Mike Breen gives in his book on discipleship is this circle. And you see like an arrow going up top and then a circle going down and back up and around. And the picture is that constantly in our lives, we are met with trial. Okay, this X. We're met with temptation. We're met with testing. We're met with these things that remind us that we're broken, that we're sinners. And so we have to go through this uh, loop, really, of repentance and belief. And so, um, you know, as these people are scattered and, and, and put out among the northern area of Jerusalem in persecution, you probably uh, will find yourself looking around going, man, like, all these people around me are doing fine, they're comfortable, and because of my faith, I am separated and persecuted. Like, should I keep believing? Like, maybe I should go back to the way I was living and, and like, not be persecuted. <laughs> it's a real temptation they're probably facing. And we face similar temptations ourselves, whether it be at the level of belief or whether it be at a very uh, basic level of our own fleshly sin. And so James addresses this very bluntly and plainly to us. And I, I loved discussing it with everyone on Thursday. He just gives us no margin to blame anybody else for owning this. James says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he, him te- he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Remaining steadfast in our faith in Jesus is simply continuing to believe the gospel. That I have sinned again, or I am being tested again, and I need to repent. I need to recognize that. I need to say, I'm sorry. Or, uh, you know, I need to recognize the thought pattern and, and catch it early before I actually do anything or act upon it. And I need to believe. The same way we came to faith in Jesus, recognizing that we are sinners and need a Savior, is the same way we continue in steadfastness. Recognizing that the world and its goods are not going to satisfy me, I continue to need the strength of the Father. And so there's this circle that we go through when we come to moments of testing or moments of temptation where we have to go back through this and, and realize. And he kind of breaks it up into lots of different steps. And, you know, I mean, they're, they're good. You know, observe, reflect, discuss, plan, account, act. A little too detailed for my liking. And in some ways, I like the simple repent and believe, you know. And maybe there's some aspects we could, we could break out. But these are good questions to ask yourself, Right? Are there areas that need to change in my life? How, how can change come to this area? 
What has God told you about changing this area? These are good things for us to discuss with each other and challenge each other with or just, you know, be talking to the Lord about. James says, ultimately it comes down to us continuing to have faith in Jesus, and what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. Let no one say when tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot tempt with evil, and he tempts no one. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. So often it can be very easy for us uh, to say, well, I'm a victim of my circumstance. You know, the home I grew up in, this was kind of how people did things. Or, uh, well, I've been given this great opportunity, and so I can't really turn that down. Or, or you know, we start to put the uh, blame for our sin and our brokenness outside of ourselves and just sort of justify the fact that we fell again. And James just gives us no room for that. He says, you know, and, and I know, this is a very personal walk, and the Lord knows you and knows your heart and loves your heart, but he's not going to let you blame your heart on someone else. So James says, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires, and, and that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. When we allow the desire, wherever it may, may have come from, ultimately from within, when we allow that to stay and, and when we coddle it and protect it and, and encourage it, ultimately it results in us sinning. Sinning against someone we love or, or sinning against the Lord in, in sort of secret, in the secret uh, spot. And very plainly, the result of sin is death. Uh, brokenness in our uh, relationships with other people, brokenness in our relationship with the Lord. It brings forth a divide when we act on the desires that are inside of us. Jumping forward from this thought, James... um, says this, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Paul says, don't allow, or James says, don't allow yourself to be deceived by the desires of sin within you. Rather, receive what God has done for you. The Father provides for us uh, in every temptation, in every trial. He provides for us and does so perfectly. Going off the, the previous thought in our fight with sin, God provides a way out for us every single time. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So often when we think we're doing well, taking pride in our position, there's an, there's an opportunity there. And so he says, take heed lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. But God is faithful, 
He's a father who has given perfectly good gifts, and this is one of the gifts he's given. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Every time we come up against a temptation or a trial or, or a challenge that is in front of us, God has a way out for us. And, you know, sometimes it's very hard to see. Uh, sometimes we're like, why isn't it more obvious? Well, part of the journey of becoming more like Jesus is, is finding that, allowing our heart to be shaped in those moments to, to discern, okay, where is this desire coming from? And how is it against the Lord? And how is the Lord changing me in this process? God doesn't waste anything. Like we said last week, God doesn't waste a pandemic, okay? Uh, He uses everything in our life to draw us closer to himself, to bring about perfection and completion, like he said in in verse 4. He doesn't waste a thing. And so even in our temptation, God is trying to teach us something. He may not make the, the door that he has provided completely obvious. Sometimes he does. Sometimes it's just, don't do that, <laughs> you know? Other times, it's a little bit of searching, a little bit of seeking, a little bit of asking for wisdom from God. And he's doing that to let us grow closer to his heart and understand his heart as a father. But every time temptation comes, he gives us a way out, a way to fight sin. It's the heart of the father to provide Every father in this room knows that the heart that you have for your kids is to make sure they are provided for, that everything they need is there and available. It's just in us. We can't get away from it, in fact. And sometimes it it takes us uh, into an unhealthy realm where where we're like overly concerned about us being the provider and not relying on God to provide uh, with us. But it is the heart of the Father to make sure our kids have everything they need. But ultimately, it's, the, it's our challenge as human fathers to know that our Father in Heaven is the one who provides perfectly for our children. Beyond what we can provide for them materially, He provides for them spiritually. And it is our call and charge to point them unto that. The Father gives perfectly for every trial and temptation circumstance that we come into, and he does, through, does so through the church. And, and he does it in a beautiful way, and I, I love how he does it, because he doesn't give one person everything that's needed to walk this life. He makes us dependent on each other completely, by design. Uh, there isn't like this uh, pursuit of gaining all the gifts that God has given There's no instruction in Scripture to obtain all the gifts that God has given. In fact, the contrary is true. When God talks about gifts, talks about abilities and callings, He says, to some are given, and to some are given, and to some are given. They're spread out, and that's by design. So we've got a Pentagon. I actually think it's more complicated than this in terms of the gifts. (laughs) God provides for us as a church, each other. Like I said, this is a relational discipleship that God has called us into. We learn from one another. 
And to each of us, he's given different roles, okay? In, in the church, this is straight out of Ephesians 4, uh, where, where some are given as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And basically what that's saying is that you all have a different type of leadership role. And I've heard this said that, well, there's only a few people that get these, uh, these giftings or callings. You know, if you've got one of these callings, it's like the special calling. What I love about what Mike Breen talks through is that actually each of us have some sort of role in this. Like there's some sort of apostle in, uh, in some of us, and there's some sort of teacher in some of us, and some sort of pastor, and some sort of evangelist, some sort of prophet. And you might be called to that vocationally, but this kind of method of leading one another is in you. You either, like a, an apostle, see the whole big picture and, and don't worry about all the minute details, uh, or like the teacher, you see all the minute details in perfect array. Uh, you, you might be the, the evangelist type who isn't concerned about how, what people do once they get into the church. You're just trying to get them into the church. And, and so each of us have this type of uh, gifting or calling or, or you know, sort of uh, role that God has given us to play in the church. And on top of this, which I love as a picture, God has also given these gifts of the Spirit and so 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11 says, Now there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, and a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are various activities, but in this, it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So how does the Father provide for us in our trials, in our temptations that James is talking about through here? He isn't coming to give you all the information alone. He's giving the church all the information and all the gifting, all the capacity corporately that we might not find it all in our own strength, but we might find it in one another. He has called us to encourage each other, not to just be encouraging ourselves and living only on our own strength, but rather depending on one another and challenging each other to follow Jesus. So in Corinthians 12, it says, For To one is given the utterance of wisdom, and one the utterance of knowledge by the same Spirit. Uh, to one, faith by the same Spirit. One, gifts of healing. To one, working of miracles. To the other, prophecy. And there's a multitude of these gift lists. There's, you know, there's also one in Romans chapter 12. And the truth is, neither of these gift lists are exhaustive. What he's saying to us is that God has given us special gifts, things and talents and abilities that he's given each of us, to work spiritually in the lives of those around us. This is how our Father, who does not change, perfectly provides for us in trial and temptation. No matter what we face, there is someone around you in the body of Christ that is there to encourage you in a special way. And so, yeah, you might have you know, a particular calling in one of these areas. You might have a, a, a particular gifting of, of hospitality or a gifting of wisdom or gifting of knowledge. But God has equipped us each individually that we might encourage each other and challenge each other in times of temptation, in times of trial. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
God has provided us the ability to, to fight sin and temptation, to, uh, to fight in trials and circumstances. And he's not calling you to do it alone. He's calling you to do it with the body of Christ. He's calling you to lean on uh, someone with a pastoral capacity or, or evangelist capacity or, or someone who has a word of knowledge or some wisdom to share with you or someone who is able to bring hospitality into your life. He's calling you to depend on one another and not to just find it all in your own strength. This is not a one-man journey, a one-man show. This is all of us relationally growing closer to Jesus. As we grow in, in prayer, in different seasons that we're in, as we grow in our relationships with each other, as we face sin and temptation together, this is how our perfect Father provides for us. When I was uh, reading about the crown of life, it was just reminded about, you know, crowns, right? And, and so I was reminded of our time, we, we spent some time looking at Revelation chapter 4 uh, a while back, and I think it was, I can't remember what series that was attached to, but we did, we did jump into this a little bit, um, talking about this picture and revelation of what's happening and how it's so clearly not about us. And so often we just make it about us achieving in our spiritual journey. It's just not that. It's about what has been done for you. It's about walking in humility and what God has provided in spite of you. It's about seeing the picture of how holy and good God is and yet how graceful and merciful he is to welcome us unto his throne. And the picture of this church relationally discipling one another is a picture that it's not about me earning it. It's about us being changed by who Jesus is together and pointing one another unto this image that is there. And so we think about receiving the crown of life, right? As James says, the one who remains steadfast will receive the crown of life, this, this time in heaven for eternity with God our Father. And this is what happens to that crown of life. Revelation chapter 4, After I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass-like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature, a lion. A second living creature, like an ox. The third living creature, the face of a man. The fourth living creature, like an eagle, in flight. 
And the four living creatures, each of them with their six wings full of eyes all around within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. James challenges us to remain steadfast and you'll receive this crown of life. And what is that crown of life? Something that you boast in that you've earned? Some, uh, some you know, gold crown that you're going to put in your mansion in heaven forever and, and look at how great your crown was? No. It's a crown that you're going to take and you're going to say, it's all for you, Jesus. It was, it was for you from the beginning and it's for you forever. You are the only one worthy to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Even this crown which I earned through steadfast belief in you and your love upon me, I give unto you. I did nothing to deserve it. It is yours. James says, do not be deceived. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. Everything you have that is good, you did not earn. God gave it to you. Your ability to earn anything is itself created by God. So I'm like, well, I I spent the four years in college to get that degree that would get me to that spot. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, God's the one that puts you in your mom's womb. So how do you think you got there? It's all from the Lord. So as we close, I just want to challenge us with these things as we look at this passage. Back to the beginning. Pursue what matters. God has put relationships in your life that matter. Himself, the lost, your fellow believers. Pursue that which God exalts, not that which the world exalts. Second, own your own junk. <laughs> we all got junk, and we've got to own it. You, you know the moment in your household when your anger flares up, and no one else knows about that time, of course, outside of your house. Your spouse knows it, though. They can tell it on your face even if you're hiding it while you go to your room or whatever. You're stomping around. <laughs> I'm just walking to my room loudly. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong here. (laughs) Own your junk. It's your own desire. A desire jealous toward or mad toward or angry with or or, um, wanting something. It's, It's in you where that hurt is coming from. So own it. Repent and believe in what Christ has done for you. And finally, God has given you everything. 
He's a father that knows every single thing that you need. And if for some reason you're not seeing it where you're standing, just remember it might not be where you're standing. There might be like a brother or sister that is around you that you need to go talk to. We're not here just kind of like disconnected members. If there's something lacking in you or something broken in you, God hasn't left you without. You, you might not have until you start like looking around and saying, oh, you know what? Jose was saying something about this scenario. Maybe I should go talk to him about that. Because God, by design, doesn't give you all the answers. To make sure we know where his gifts come from. They come from above. And they're found in those that God has put right around us here in the church. Those who have the same faith, might be a little further along the faith journey than than we are. And so know that you've got all you need. The Father's provided it perfectly. And then also know that if you've got something... It wasn't given for you to keep. It was given for you to give. In the end, that's what you're going to do, right? When we come before the throne, you're going to lay down your crown of life at the Father's feet and say, thank you for all you've given. And so I think he wants you to start doing that now. If he's given you wisdom, if he's given you knowledge, if he's given you uh, some uh, sort of heart of hospitality or whatever he's given you, He's given that to you with purpose, not so that you could like put it on your shelf and be prideful about it. Hey, I'm really good at being humble. Right? Like, it's not it. It's given to you that you might share that with those around you. So ask the Lord how you can give all that he has given to you. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for James and his blunt way of telling us how it is. And God, I pray that you would challenge and encourage our hearts as we continue to look at James and um, help us to become more like you. Lord, we're thankful for a man who humbly came under his brother and said, in fact, Jesus, you're right. And I believe in you. And so God, help us to learn to depend on each other, to be encouraged and strengthened by each other. And to not just find everything in ourselves, but find it in you and in those you've put around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.